Welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast with me, Catherine Meadows. I'm a Pilates teacher specializing in postnatal recovery and a mum to two kids myself. The aim of this podcast is to inspire and educate through chats with women who are either working through their own movement journey or work to help women get stronger and recover both physically and mentally after having kids. I want to talk about what they do, how they integrate it into their family lives and essentially why. Because I believe when we share our stories and our values, we lift each other up, enabling every mother to fulfill her body's potential, gain confidence in her power and give our families the best version of us to share their lives with. So join me each week to hear these wonderful women talk about their journey. Welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast and today we are enjoying the first of two International Women's Day celebrations of women's stories. Um, In next week's episode I'll be speaking to Sue Anstice of the Game Changers podcast which shares the stories of fearless women in sport and this week I have the great pleasure of talking to Jenny Landreth, the author of Swell, a water biography, someone whom I feel I got to know very well through her Uh, personable writing and openness in telling her own story. It's a beautifully researched and hilarious book, um, one that will make you stand up and punch the air and shout quite a few times as well as uh, uh, feel just, I I really, um, really, uh, you know, sort of, I had so much glory, it's a glorious read of amazing women's stories and uh, it was just such a wonderful book to sort of absorb myself into. Um, Jenny's book charts the history of swimming through the ages, giving accounts of trailblazing women who broke records, boundaries and expectations of their gender through the seemingly harmless act of swimming. So Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. That's an absolute pleasure and thank you for such a, an amazing introduction. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, well, I, I honestly loved the book and I um, knew when uh, I, I saw Alexandra Hemmingsley mention it and talk about just what a wonderful uh, book it is to sort of let yourself dive into, uh, pardon the pun, and it was just everything that I wanted to do it, it to be and like like you, um, like I said, you do sort of get quite angry. Oh, I get furious all the time, I, and I'm always really pleased to hear when other people do a lot of shouting because yes. I, I do a lot of shouting, a lot of punching there. And um, I think it's to be encouraged. We should hear, you know, hear our angry voices a lot more often. Yeah, I know. so one of, one of the few books that I spent time reading at bit extracts out to my husband, you are never going to believe this. <laughs> and he was like, oh, re- again, really? And he's off in his, I don't know, mountaineering books or whatever he was reading. Um, okay, so can we just start by setting the scene where yeah. you are? family life and what you do please okay yeah um I am in London I live in London with my two adult children and I'm a writer and I also script edit as my kind of uh yeah day-to-day job I script edit um a kids animation tv series oh which one have I seen uh, hey Dougie ah oh. If you've got if you've got preschoolers, you'll know. If if not, then chances are you or 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 if you're a student, maybe. But otherwise, (laughs) yes, yeah. (laughs) The old days when I used to watch Teletubbies uh, at university. Um, Funnily enough, I actually heard two children talking at 
uh, must have been at the swimming pool or something the other day. Who's your favourite Hey Dougie character? Um, <laughs> that my heart. Which I just thought, you know, in like 15 years, it's going to be who's your favourite? I don't know. I'm trying to think of what it would be for a teenage soap opera in their day or, you know, who's your favourite yeah. so-and-so in 20 years? It would be brilliant. So, you know, you've obviously caught the zeitgeist of the toddlerhood. Yes, we have, and it, well, it's it's a show that's I've worked on it from the start, and um, I'm I'm delighted to be still on it, and we're just heading up to the end of series three, so that's 150 something eps we've done, and yeah, so that's what that's what I do in my daily life when I'm not writing. And giving parents just a little 15 minutes of uh, of peace. Seven minutes. Seven, seven, seven minutes. minutes. Really, is that all it is? Gosh, yeah. the amount you can do in seven minutes. Oh I my know. god! Yeah. <laughs> napping you can the power nap absolutely yeah Yeah. um okay so can you give us a little intro into how and why swell came about and what made you think the world needed to hear this story uh well swell came about because actually i started i've i've always kind of been worked around writers and done bits of writing um but at the start of um when my daughter was small, I thought I really want to do more of my own writing. Um, and I noticed that and blogging was a, a big thing at that point. So I started to do a blog about swimming uh, where I visited various London swimming pools and wrote reviews of them. And of course, the more it's much more fun if you hate something than if you love it, because it's just, you know, loving something. Yeah, it's only a certain amount of eulogizing. Yourself. <laughs> yes. So but hating something was was a really natural home for me. So, you see so much more when you hate it. So, you, oh, like, so much more to comment on. Yeah, yeah okay. much more, much more fun with what you do. So, I started this blog about swimming in London, and that that was in the early days of of my first interactions on on Twitter, and um, it just started to build a really nice following, and I really liked it, and I really found my voice. I'd written a couple of books before that, but they'd been very much do not mention that you actually exist as a person. They were both guidebooks. Um, and so I was very much not in not in the scene, yeah. and I started to write uh, in my own voice and as me, and include little personal bits and stuff. And then I was invited to do a book called Swimming London, which was uh, the best places to swim in, in London, fifty best places. Um, and that was really fun. That was all about the love. There was no negativity. A little bit of negativity because a couple of pools I couldn't help being negative about. Mm. Um, and from that, I knew I wanted to do something that had a kind of narrative arc. By then, I'd done two guidebooks, um, but but nothing kind of long form with a narrative arc. And, and also, I have been a long time feminist um, and supportive of women. And I thought, I just suddenly uh, popped up on The Guardian, this article. Um, they used to have, I don't know if they still do, have a little archive slot and a piece of archive popped up about um, the opening of Hampstead Ladies' Ponds and the Serpentine Lido, written by a woman um, in the 1930s about how our mothers and grandmothers had fought for the right to swim in these pools. Mm. And I said, oh, gosh, that really, it just really spoke to me. Mm. It wasn't something I'd ever really considered. I hadn't done, I'm not a social historian. I hadn't done any research when I was doing my own little blog and book. I'd done bits and bobs, but nothing substantive. Um, and I just thought that's an interesting story. I had no idea. It just hadn't occurred to me. And of course, as soon as you have that thought, you think, well, of course, history is about a very specific slice of society. History yeah. is mostly written about men and it's yeah. mostly written about people with privilege. 
uh, because they're the ones who thought to document their lives. They're, you know, they're the ones who's, who do things of worth. In inver- I'm doing my little funny inverted comic. Yeah. Um, so I started to um, delve around in that and just discovered how little access women had and thought, I, I think there's a story here. And I really wanted to write more about swimming in a, in a, in a long form. So I put together a proposal and, yeah, then I wrote the book. Amazing. And so how was the research process for you? Did you, was it, was it you know, as, as you've just mentioned, pretty much history has been written by men and for a male gaze and it's very easy to access all of those sorts of stories. But the history of women's activities, uh, like you say, it's not, it's not the forefront story. So um, uh, how, how available was it to you and how did you go about finding their stories and, um, and sort of delving into the research? Actually, I, well, I mean, I, I spent quite a lot of time in old swimming pool archives. And actually, often it's looking at the gaps. You know, it, mm. it's looking at who's, who's uh, pictorially represented, who's in the newspaper articles. You look back through old newspapers and discover swimming pools opened, which will have a separate ladies pool. And then you'll get it's just about piecing together tiny, tiny little fragments. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, trying to find women's history is, re- is really hard, even for very privileged posh women, partly because nobody ever uses their names. They're all Mrs. So-and-so or Lady So-and-so. Oh. You kind of can't. And they're all often referred to by their husband's first and second name. Yes. So trying to then you're trying to piece together. So it's a kind of little, a little uh, you go down little wormholes of trying to find out who this person actually was. You know, oh, her name was actually Emily, but nobody ever, nobody ever uses that. And just little kind of tiny fragments like that and, and building pictures and, and, and just looking at the gaps and filling in the gaps. Of course, there's, there's gaps that I couldn't fill in. You know, when I talked about the first women, it's, it's not and, it, and it's not a linear story, which slightly complicates things. Because uh, it would be, you know, it's lovely and neat when you've got a very linear story. As in, you could just do a chronological, this is yeah. what happens in the yeah, first this is what experiences. And then, this is and the very onwards. first thing, you know, because things, clearly women and men were swimming together at the beat, you know, in the sea, for instance. But mm. there, there wasn't much recorded history about that I, I, uh, pre-Victorian times. There just, there just isn't much available. Mm. And then Victorians came along and women were stopped from doing that. And then uh, as it came up again, you know, so you're kind of trying to piece together all those bits and bobs. And I'm really sorry, I forgot what your question was. No, no, no. Uh, Was it all about the research, actually, how you found it and uh, things like that? And and where did you find the stories? And so did you did you go to lots of different archives and started piecing stuff together? I'm imagining that you had one of those great big walls that they do for crime dramas. And you've got this red line that goes squiggly all the way through everyone's stories. Because there were a few women who popped up in different places, weren't there? Loads of notes, loads of loads of. Uh, post-its all over my wall um yes it was one, one of those kind of loads of kind of trying to piece together and there there have been odd bits Caitlin Davis has written um about uh, some of the women like um who swam at Hampstead for instance she's written a great book about Hampstead, uh, yes. Hampstead Pond, including the ladies pond so there are odd, odd bits and pieces I spent quite a lot of time in the British Library looking through I love looking through old newspaper reports yeah you just get a real sense of what was important and what wasn't important and uh you know just the ridiculousness of uh, of the news at that point yeah yes so just about piecing piecing bits and bobs together um and finding yeah finding old photos mm. laughing a lot at the ridiculous 
<laughs> yes, some of them are <laughs> utterly absurd, yeah. some of the yeah. things that you see. Um, and did you always set out to write your own water biography alongside that of, um, you know, the significant women in history? Can we just take a moment to appreciate my brilliance? With, with water biography. It's extraordinary. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm yeah. very proud of that. Yeah. And actually, I hate wordplay and puns, but I... <laughs> no, that works really well, though. Really. I mean, we've got to wait until, until it comes into the Oxford English Dictionary, and then you'll know you've made your mark in yeah, history. Then I, yeah, then I can just retire forever. <laughs> Did I set out to write a memoir as well? It just seemed like a really... I, I'm, you know, I've got an ego the same as everybody else. I yeah. like writing about myself. Yeah. <laughs> and there were certain points. At that point, also, I was... Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention this. I was writing a Guardian column. Uh-huh. Um, so I was doing a vaguely odd bits and bobs for that. Like, for instance, once I wrote about taking your kids swimming and I had the audacity to state about how boring I'd found it. And, um, you know, the comments below the line on that particular day were very interesting about how I should be, um, you know, barren and all of that stuff. Right, yeah. That was pleasant Really balanced. Yeah, yeah really <laughs> lovely, lovely. This woman should have her children taken away from her. <sighs> My kids looking on really laughing, going, yeah, mum, you really should have. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I, because I was starting to talk about my own story, I just thought, you know, this, there's a – I also wanted to stay. I wasn't – I was not that person that everybody kind of assumes. If you swim a lot in your 50s, which is what I am now, everybody assumes you were on the sports team, you were yeah. all sporty, you were on the hockey field on a Saturday morning. You would, And I really wasn't that. I was a very late starter to swimming. And I wanted to kind of represent um, people. It, it, that felt to me like a – like actually quite a common demographic for people that there was a whole lot of us who were not sporty who were doing this thing that's yeah. called a sport um although we don't I don't I certainly don't think to do it do it in a sporty way mm. um and I just wanted to say you know there's there's a different there's a different approach out here that's not all about pbs and and uh achieving your goals and just about absolutely in, enjoying something at whatever stage in life I thought that was quite an in, in, important message to put across so, yeah totally and and it's actually it's interesting because I think actually your experience and your sort of history with swimming in particular is is really typical of a lot of women that I've spoken to but also also if we replace swimming with I don't know running or, or anything like that there's yeah. a lot of women who hated that sort of enforced movement at school, you know, the grim uh, changing rooms or the embarrassment on the side of the swimming pool or yeah. running around doing the cross country in your massive knickers or all of that stuff and then falling out of love with it because nobody taught you properly because you were slightly shit. So then yeah. that was yeah, it. You were sidelined. Yeah, there's there's not much space in in, no. in school sports for people who are shit. You know, um, I was arts and crafts, and I thought sport was really uncool. I mean, yeah. I I worked in a swimming pool when I was sixteen. There's absolutely no way I went swimming because it was so deeply uncool yeah. to to want to work your body in that kind of a way, or to even be kind of vaguely conscious of having a physical body. You know, <laughs> yes, you you just didn't you just didn't do that. I was I was way too way too cool for that. Um, and now I think, oh, what a! I, I don't know. I don't. I don't ever think anything's wasted. But that—that's—that's that, that's the person who I was. So yeah. I really came to it in my own time, um, at my own pace. And I'm—I'm—I'm 
I'm pleased for that. And I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm learning and learning and learning now. And I'm, I'm in my late 50s. Mm-hmm. I'm very pleased to still feel that it's something I'm getting better at. Yes. Um, yeah. I think with running sometimes, um, when you're swimming, nobody really cares whether you're good or bad. Uh, you know, people generally aren't watching what you're doing. No. Um, so you can be really shit. And nobody's kind of laughing you out the pool. And I sometimes think with running, Although I always say to people, because I do a little bit of running, and I would say just pretend that you've already run 13 miles if you're out of breath by the time you get to the end of the road. Nobody knows that you haven't run 13 miles. But if you mentally kind of have that look on your face, like I've just done a half marathon. Total professional, actually. Yeah, even yeah. though you've only run 500 metres. Yes. It'll, it'll all be fine. So. Yeah, because one of the lovely things that, that, that you talk about your own experience is that when you go swimming, when you go to your Lido, which you uh, live close by to, everybody is almost stripped back to, to the, the equals. Like it's a complete leveler of everybody's life story, their experience, their age, their, uh, you know, how much money they have, all of that stuff. They're really like everybody's the same. Yeah, and I love that thought yeah. of that you cannot tell what anybody, where anybody lives, where they've come from, any of that stuff. You can't buy a better experience, and I think you know if you go to the if you lots of other things I like doing. I love going to the theatre, for instance, and you know people dress up and they can buy the most expensive seats and yeah. all that stuff. So you can have a different kind of you, you can engage on on different levels. And in swimming, you could be a millionaire or you could have nothing, and. Um, you, you know, you can get in in your gold-plated costume if you like. It's not. It's really not going to serve you very well. Um, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what size you are, which is another thing that's a, just a blessed relief. I know that lots of people, women particularly, don't swim because of, you know, body issues. But actually, once you're in the water, your size is no indicator of, of how good or bad you're going to be at swimming. Mm. I, you know, and I think sometimes if you look at runners, you kind of know who's going to be a good runner or not. Mm. They're lean and they've got, you know, they've got this and that. But in the water, you never quite know who's mm. going to be the, the brilliant swimmer or who's going to be the person who can just keep going for five hours or yeah. the person who's going to be a super sprinter or whatever. Yeah. And, and I love that. that it's, a constant, um, it's a constant refreshing change. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, totally. Now, you eventually swam the dark ten k, which is a real beast of a river swim in Devon. It's uh, isn't quite the sort of float down the nice river and you'll get there eventually type of things. Actually, full on serious training. Yeah. It's cold, and you don't oh, yeah. have the sort yeah. of the big mass. It's not a massive tidal flow. It's kind of a little bit. So it's, it's not a massive help. So. No. You know, you, and at the end of it, you finally, and at the end of the book, you finally managed to call yourself a swimmer. But I would say that that was the the effort and the steps that you had to take to get there and everything, that that definitely um, uh, promoted you into the sort of <laughs> higher levels of the swimming person. It definitely like intimidates me, the thought of even contemplating the Dark 10K. So, um, you know, how was that for you? Um, well, actually, when I when you say it like that, and I look back, you know, with a bit of distance, I do feeling. I mean, it makes me laugh the thought of me doing doing the job. <laughs> but you know, the person who really preferred smoking and drinking to to, to doing anything like that. Yeah. Um, it it really makes it. Yeah. No, it gives me a great great sense of uh, of pleasure at my own achievement. And I we trained really hard. I you know. Because I was so intimidated by it, but I, I because I hang out with a lot of swimmers 
For some of them, the 10K is just a little hop and a skip. And wow. for some of us, it's definitely not. And again, it's a very supportive environment. So everybody's always looking to support and encourage and, um, you, you know, be, be part of a team. So I knew that I needed for my own personal self, other people didn't need to stick to a training regime quite as hard, but I knew I really needed to. I knew I needed to have that in the bag so that when it came to it on the day, I, I could know I could actually swim the distance because I'd swum. I'd been on a few swimming holidays before, and I'd swum five k and stuff. Yeah, before, but not, um, not obviously not ten k. Um, and actually, doing it with a big bunch of people, training with people, all of us ticking off our little sessions. All of us, you know, somebody would have a um, a downtime at the time when somebody else was feeling really confident and all you know all of that kind of team camaraderie mm. was really really great people swam it much faster than me people swam it slower than me um it was really cold we had and we had very little tidal flow it was 13 degrees but I was in a wetsuit so yeah. I always feel that's quite important to state but there, again a couple of my friends were doing it skins and um good for, good for them you know I mean, <laughs> amazing Um, because it's a long time as well so you know the skin swimming that's one thing but being in the water um for what two hours I think I was in nearly three actually yeah yeah it's a really long time to be in 13 degrees water because again because I hang out with a lot of cold water swimmers you know training for the channel or doing any of that stuff that's really that's a drop in the yeah drop literally in the river um yeah I mean it's a really extraordinary thing um okay so so back to your book what 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 were the things that you particularly picked out of like women's swimming history that you wanted to highlight oh that's an interesting question um I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a kind of scattergun it's like when people say what's your favorite book ever I don't have one it's all you you know my uh, my list kind of changes all the time. Yeah. And I tend to love what I'm doing at the time. Yeah. So I loved meeting um, people who I I felt were really, you know, iconic figures. I'm not a massive fan of that word, iconic. But so when I was doing those bits, I loved those bits. When I was looking at the history, I loved doing that. Um, mm. <clears throat> I probably felt on safer ground when I was interviewing living people because you know, there's, there's no interpretation involved. And, you know, because I'm not officially a social historian, getting something wrong is uh, the, the kind of imposter syndrome. I know people who've published 20 books who still feel the same, that, that yeah. you know, somebody's going to read it and go, well, that's factually inaccurate. Oh, yes, that would so, be a so horrifying those, message to I, get, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, those bits I felt probably most anxious around. But mm. when I was talking, for instance, to Frida Streeter, who ran Channel Swimming, um, at Dover for a number of years and was the mother of Alison Streeter, is the mother of Alison Streeter. Yeah. Um, uh, those bits I absolutely loved, bringing her, bringing her voice forward, I absolutely loved. And again, people who aren't, I mean, she has a small public profile, people who don't even have that much public profile. I, I loved doing those bits. Um, I loved the idea of amplifying voices that really weren't amplified writing about Annette Kellerman was great but there is material already out there about Annette Kellerman the same with Gertrude Edelay that material is out there I I like being funny about that I like being able to kind of spin and make stupid jokes about you know people swimming it and having champagne 
said to them through a pipette. Well, you know, absurd I, I like those things. Yes, yeah. the jazz I, band kind of yes. got me quite a lot. Yeah. Yes. Oh God, you see, you know, <laughs> that to me is my idea, uh, my idea of hell. But um, <laughs> so I liked, I liked being able to be kind of frivolous about those things because that material was out there a bit more. Right. Yeah. Um, but I really liked being able to talk to people who whose stories weren't out there so much, like Frida's, or, you know. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And was there anything that really kind of surprised you or shocked you or kind of, I don't know, made you think, goodness, I can't, I can't actually believe this was really a thing or something that happened, apart from the jazz bands and the champagne down a pipette and all of that stuff? I, I think some of the kind of contrast between privilege and not privilege was really shocking. Like there's, there's yeah. one woman particularly who had her own lake and used to hold galas. And I suppose the contrast between what, what was accessible to those women, I tried not to kind of bang on too much about class privilege. And I think, it, I, I hope it's in, inherent in, in the book. Mm. Um, but that obviously if you've got your own lake, the, in, the amount of privilege inherent in that, in whatever time you were born, yeah. is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so some of that I kind of had to suppress my natural, you know, class warrior rage. Mm. Um, and yeah, yes, I, th- I I think that was the that was the stuff that probably made my um, hackles rise the most. Yeah. Uh, and okay, so uh, some other things that, that that really pissed you off. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other situations. I mean, really, the clothing situation oh, commentary yeah. was, I mean, like you said, there, there was I just something that I, I flicked through last night where you said, if you look at, if you put all of the stuff that's written about swimming history, and about what they wore, uh, it's, you know, a huge chunk. Yeah. And then what they actually did, tiny yeah. little piece of history, yeah. you know, it will always be commented on what they're wearing in comparison yeah. to what they're actually doing. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine, I mean, for me, that a lot of that was was the absurd. But then also the taking away of, of, of privilege, like you said about when they came into sort of Victorian times, women were able to have been swimming before that and yeah. then it was retracted and then given back in little bits and you know the bathing huts and all that nonsense and a lot of that made me really angry because you do kind of think well swimming is like who like, who cares you can go to the beach and go in the water if you want to but no they had to go in pretty much fully clothed in victorian yes. dress more clothed more cl- you know it's a very cold morning this morning they would have been wearing more swimming than I was than I was walking my dog across the very yeah. in my massive Norwegian parka they would have essentially been been swimming in that with yeah. all sorts you know, ridiculous hats and paraphernalia and yeah. all of that nonsense yeah that I mean that really made made me laugh made, more than made me furious I guess but mm. um and you know I, I also got pretty annoyed I don't know if that comes uh, across about men trying to stop women uh, inveigling on their on their territory, you know, like the the fact that when women were finally allowed into the Serpentine, there was letters to the Times from furious men Outrage. who were able to parade around um, Starkers, which is what they'd always done, and yes. the idea that women would encroach on that um, was just a, was just an absolute horror. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast. Go for it, yeah. Fuck you, yeah. yeah. Just shut up yeah and you know <laughs> I'd like to say things have really changed um and but I you know <laughs> let's face it we all know the answer to that one don't we <laughs> we can 
a little bit changed, but not yeah, not as much as it's, it's just much. it's just moved on to different commentary about what women are wearing in in yeah. different ways. You know, there's always the older, oh, but did you? Yes, she might be. Um, well, okay, so take you know Princess Catherine and Princess Meghan. And the two of them, it's a continuous comparison between whether or not Meghan is looking demure and princess enough mm-hmm. and the fact that Catherine is looking like, you know, future uh, uh, queen and blah de blah yeah. and uh, yeah. what they wore when they came out of the hospitals yeah. and, uh, you know, all of that. And it's just, you're like, yeah. the women just gave birth and, and three hours later, yeah. they're standing in front of you having their photo taken. Like, fucking leave them alone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will confess here, which I will confess, that I do engage sometimes in a little bit of critiquing. Uh-huh. Um, I watch Love Island. I'm a massive fan of Love Island. <laughs> I'm quite an unlikely candidate. I don't think I'm their target market. Yeah, okay. I do watch it. And I have been heard to say, Jesus Christ, what the hell is she wearing? So, you know, so I do, I am guilty of the thing that I castigate people for um, in critiquing sometimes what women choose to wear. But, um, you know, definitely now when you see some of the amazing swims that women undertake, it's great to see all the commentary, uh, you know, the four-way channel swim, for instance. Yes. All the commentary is about the achievement. Nobody's saying, eh, she's a big girl. Or, you know, there's, yeah. there's very li- little of that awful personal um, commentary, mm. just focusing on the amazing achievement, and that is fantastic. And I'm very pleased on that. And I think that's pro- a definite progress. And, yeah. and do you think that that progress has come about from the story the, from the women that you wrote about in your book? Because I think I love um, you know your last chapter in the book where you talked about. Every time you go for a swim, you're taking with you the the history of all those women who broke down every single barrier along the way about being able to wear clothes that weren't going to drown us just yeah. by their like their enormousness, the ability to just be able to walk past the swimming pool, the ability to just be able to go to the swimming pool at any time you'd like and it not yeah. be anything more than that. Um, yeah, no, I, I do think we have them to thank. And I think, quite, you, you know, obviously you don't need to take that story literally in your head every time you go swimming. Part of the joy of swimming is, is not taking yes, all yeah, of that. Feeling weighed down but, yeah, us. we definitely owe, you know, even reading from that very first Guardian article that I wrote, the, the, the woman writing it in the 1930s, who I, when I looked her up, it turned out she was 70 and she was thanking all her foremothers. Mm. You know, the incredible... Um, guts and resilience and you know those women would have made themselves really unpopular because you know it's still if you're an outspoken woman which generally means just saying what you think you're still really denigrated you're still really put down you're still really judged so all of for the all of those women doing it then in that climate when they would have been absolutely loathed mm. and you know oh I think god you're absolutely amazing and if we can just want tiny bit of courage with that when we're feeling, uh, you know, feeling a bit like judging ourselves or not feeling good enough or whatever. If you can just carry a little bit of that steel somewhere, it's really, really valuable. Hi, Movement fans. Sorry to interrupt your listening today. I hope you're enjoying the episode. 
If you are, I would love it if you could leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now. If you're on your mobile on the app, click on the icon with this podcast image, scroll right to the bottom where you see the ratings and reviews section, and tap the number of stars you want to give. <clears throat> My suggestion would be five. And then click the write a review link at the bottom. It literally takes one minute and makes a huge difference in how iTunes shows this podcast to others who are searching amongst all the thousands of brilliant shows that there are out there. Thank you so much for choosing this podcast and taking the time to review. It really does mean the world to me and I am hugely grateful. Okay, let's get on with the show. And I and, and I think one of the things that also struck me was that a lot of the women who were, I don't know, fighting for rights or or um, the ability to wear the things they wanted to and all of that stuff, th- were also up against other women. Yeah, there were other women who were also writing commentaries saying, "Well, that's all fine. This is all great, but goodness, don't wear that costume or well, um, things yes, like that. and women in positions of power. You know, yeah. women because because yeah, I, I mean, and hey, don't ain't that still the same? You know that often it's it's often other women with I don't know internalized misogyny or whatever whatever you yeah. want to whatever whatever the answer is it is still other women who are deciding what what women should and shouldn't do often you know but when it was medical professional women you know who'd had to fight, make their own fight to get any kind of professional recognition or career then saying women should only swim because it makes their wombs healthy oh you think you know come on let's find some sisterhood here <laughs> you know, I know that's a very old-fashioned notion the idea of sisterhood I'm you know really shows me up for the kind of aged feminist that I am but I think <laughs> we forget that often um that to, to extend that sisterhood even to people we we don't like and um yeah. or don't agree with and yeah I think we we need a bit more of it really yeah yeah absolutely uh, one of the my favorite women you talk about was Charlotte Epstein who she was kind of a mediocre swimmer, wasn't she? She was, yeah. you know, she went to the Olympics and things like that. But she wasn't, she wasn't one of the best. But what she did was she spent her life pushing the cause yeah. in order to get other women further. So that that thing of, that you just mentioned about sisterhood, and you know, one of the things that I always think is so truly important about feminism is that we are all trying to further the cause for other women around us, in yes. front of us, yeah. behind us, all the rest of it. It's not just you trying to get ahead, it's everybody trying to get ahead so that we're all trying to push those boundaries and everything. Yeah. And and that's something that Charlotte Epstein did throughout her life. And yeah. she, uh, it, whether it was sort of, sort of national recognition, so she was American, national recognition, or with Olympic participation because she attended and managed the team for four Olympic Games. Yeah. And she was highly political with yeah. as an actual suffragette. Um, and also she uh, boycotted the 32 Games, wasn't it, in Berlin? Yes, yeah. Um, she, I mean, she sort of epitomizes to me that story of how we keep on pushing that yeah. edge all the time. 
And yeah, find out what you're good at. She wasn't a great swimmer, so she found out what she was good at, which was encouraging and leading. Mm. She got, she pushed herself forward. And it's really key to me that if you push yourself forward, you don't pull up the ladder behind you. Mm. You know, you, you use your position to reach a hand down and, and help up the next person. Absolutely, that is a key, a, a key to life. Mm. And that's entirely what she did. And, you know, you see her also reflected in somebody like Frida Streeter, who sat every season on that beach in Dover, um, encouraging swimmers, working with swimmers, you, you know, really running running that beach and making it possible for a lot of people to achieve their dreams of swimming the channel. It's all about uh, knowing what your strengths are and putting them to good use vol- voluntarily often, you know, because yeah. there's no personal aggrandizement just because there's a kind of sense of mission or, I don't know, I, I can't guess what, what Charlotte Epstein's uh, personal um, belief system was but it's kind of written on the page isn't it you know that she just wanted to further this thing that was bigger than her I I can't imagine she made a huge amount of money out of it no I can't imagine she did she would also have been a very you know lived a kind of life of being being a bit of a freak show yeah you know being a woman who ran her own life and had her own money and you know probably was jokes about her being a spinster and all of that stuff um would have run rife um and she would have face that down so good on you Charlotte yeah yeah would have loved to have uh, met her or known her although I think you know it would be so interesting to have met somebody like that but in 1920s when it was like the whole you know society everything was so utterly different to when you put her in now you do still think yes what an amazing woman but in those days, I don't think everybody would have thought that. So no, I don't. I, I think almost 100% that they wouldn't have thought that. They, she'd have been called a bloke and, you know, they'd have yeah. been in all sorts of stuff. I mean, it, it may have been that she was a horrendous bully, you know. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> that, that, may, that may also have been a possibility that yeah. actually had we met her and hung out with her, we'd have, you know, decided never to never to do that again. Yeah. The kind of element of some of it that feels, uh, feels quite bullying. Um you know, sport. You know, we've all got those sports teachers, PE yeah. teachers that we yeah. can uh, that we can name. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to name mine. Yeah, but I did name her in the book, so um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it has been forthcoming. So I have <laughs> but <laughs> um, but she was uh, instrumental. Well, she was part of the. Uh, you know, she helped get the first woman to cross the channel, and I cannot remember her name now. Of course. Gertrude Adelaide was the first woman to um, was the first woman to cross the channel, and yeah. she was American, wasn't yeah. she? And yeah. she was yeah. very young at the time. Yeah. I mean, they were all so young. That's so, another thing. You think? I mean, I mean, I do kind of joke about it in the book, but my daughter was fifteen when I was writing about these very young women, age fourteen, being thrown in the Thames, swimming seven, seven miles and waving and smiling. My own daughter struggling <laughs> off the sofa to get another bowl of cereal. I mean, you know, she's older than that now and very much more capable than also not in earshot so yeah um, but um yeah they were in, in, achieving things at an incredibly young age mm. which was phenomenal yeah 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 and and yeah phenomenal and quite unbelievable when you look at or just a, just the normal average teenager obviously there are a lot of teenagers now who are doing brilliant things and yeah. everything yeah. but yeah. you know the normal average teenager must yeah. you know I'm still looking at that thinking God, I can't believe she didn't no, just no. go. Do you know what? Leave yeah. me alone. Yeah. Well, there are definitely phenomenal teenagers out there. I, yes. I, my my personal experience is 
more normal to me. <laughs> yes, Eating me and slamming doors and yeah, you know, not getting up before two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, do you have a favourite that you wrote about as well? Say again. Do you have a favourite uh, character or woman that you wrote about during the book as well, or you? No, I don't have a favourite. I have a massive affection for all of them. Mm. I really genuinely do. As I said before, I'm not a kind of favourites kind of a person. Yeah. Be the one I'm doing at the time. Because, you know, when you're writing about people, you have to really kind of immerse yourself in, in all of that. So, um, and then when it's done, you have to move on, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I would say that I, I, I just have a residual affection for anybody who shows, you know, ovaries of steel those are, those are my favorite women yeah um and you mentioned a few times about this term swimming suffragette and we've yeah. sort of mentioned that charlotte epstein was actually linked to the suffragette movement so yeah. why yeah. is the fight for women's rights linked to suffrage as well uh because the thing because it happened you know that because it kind of happened simultaneously or you know there were definite definite strands of um as as people began, as women began to get more freedoms in the water, they began to get more freedoms on land, um, if that doesn't sound too horribly cheesy. <laughs> so all of that kind of, uh, that suffrage in its in its widest form apply, applies um, applies to women. Um, sorry, I'm umming and ahhing a lot. I'm aware of that now. But um, so I think it, it, it's, it's all about the emancipation of women. We can, re yeah. we can really see how... Uh, as one as one thing was granted, so another thing was coming along. Some people were fighting for their rights to vote. Other people were fighting for slightly more prosaic rights to get in the water. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely the things moved along concurrently. And uh, I, I do remember that extraordinary story of um, that they uh, they threw a dummy into yeah. uh, was it a pond or was it in the Hudson River? It was in the Hudson River, wasn't it? I, I, I have to confess, this is three years ago. You, you, yeah, you're better on the detail yeah. than I. Yeah, I just, I, I, I was reading about. Yeah, they, is, they, they threw a dummy that was supposed to represent yeah. the sort of anti-suffragette movement yeah. into the water, and the New York Times did this incredible. Um, uh, a sort of write-up about this event where the um, suffragettes wearing their purple sashes about votes for women got in and um, saved the dummy. And the New York Times said something wonderfully um, quite profound and very supportive, actually, uh, which said, you know, the, the ante was weighed down not only by its choice of clothing, but also by its belief system and, yes. the, uh, you know, was yes. saved by the suffragettes. And you just thought, well, you know, how wonderful that they managed to make an actual swimming display yeah. about, you know, to, to sort of fully, like a metaphor to indicate this yeah. is what we are trying to do. We're trying to just you know, pull everybody else up you know, out of their beliefs and save the system. Yeah. And and similarly, uh, I mean, similarly but slightly more obliquely, the suffragettes here in London were banned from Hyde Park because they kept throwing themselves into the water. And they did at some point have a, a kind of, uh, what we'd call it a flash mob, wouldn't we now, of, yeah. of all, ju all jumping into the water. And uh, they uh, the, the park officials had put all the boats into the middle of the lake and tied them all together so they couldn't use those to cross the water. But swimming definitely had represented something about our uh, what we were allowed and, and not allowed to do. So the suffragettes were 
eventually banned from going into Hyde Park because they might throw themselves, you know, with, with gay abandon into the water and that would be the most horrific sight possible. Imagine um, how awful seeing women with wet hair. Oh, gosh, the very thought of a woman was... exerting herself in some physical way is terrible. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and you, uh, and then of course you get onto some of the more sort of modern superstars of swimming. Uh, yeah. Beth French, Julie Bradshaw, who... Yeah butterflied across yeah. the channel um and we've mentioned uh Frida Streeter and her daughter Alison who has crossed the channel more times than any other person yeah um and then uh so many other wonderful stories that you've written about Becky Sindal particularly uh, uh struck me yeah. she's the woman who um the is, yeah yeah teaching teaching yeah. women in Egypt to uh, is it Egypt um oh, i'm saying nile Egypt. Yeah. for some reason I'm, I'm putting the two of them together that might be terrible geography of mine um teaching women to just to be able to look after themselves when it comes to yeah. water because more yeah. women are killed um drowning than the men and and still in massively high numbers particularly in those areas but they have um uh, the, the, they are not allowed into the water, no. and with it, by doing so, she was actually risking not only deportation but jail, and uh, and potentially worse, particularly yeah. for the uh, the women that she was teaching. So her story really struck me. Yeah. And then, of course, people like the wonderful Lynn Roper, uh, oh. Tanya Shadrick, uh, yeah. things. So, so can you tell us some more about you know these wonderful women and what their stories mean to us? Oh, the women that we, the women, I mean, Beth, for instance, is uh, is one of my enduring heroes. Yeah. I think she's an extraordinary woman. And, you know, these heroes walk amongst us almost as if they're mortal. Mm. Um, uh, what, Beth, what Beth's achieved and carries on achieving um, is, is just phenomenal. She's got an extraordinary film out, which is really beautiful uh, telling of her, her journey swimming the, the seven oceans or not swimming actually and reframing what it means to fail again in inverted commas yeah um so yeah do you know i just i just think they're they're a really diverse bunch they're really they look like normal women you know you, <laughs> that, that's the thing that strikes me constantly and that's the thing about swimmers is that they do these incredible people walk amongst us <laughs> they might be sitting next to you on the bus or okay. <laughs> generally a kind of humility um, and uh, always a sharing always a team it's always about the team mm. um, and that kind of attitude I find really inspiring it's you know I'm, I'm not going to wear I'm not going to wear this glory just for myself it's absolutely key to me that we that we share it with the team um so th those that attitude i think is is incredible yeah incredible yeah um and can we just mention so the last two women that i mentioned there lynn roper and tanya shadrick yeah. um so tanya wrote uh lynn roper's memoir autobiography is that what it's called is that right yeah. Bi her yeah. biography because lynn passed lynn away died um two years ago and Ta what tanya tanya was a live scribe at the time and one of the the last things that lynn did was spend some time with her talking through her life story but lynn had written her own diaries so what tanya did um was take those diaries um edit them very skillfully and carefully and then publish them um 
and yeah it's it's a it's a glorious living I just absolutely love it because again it's about you know a lot of a lot of swimming writing can be very ethereal and um uh, intangible and what Lynn does is absolutely make it very prosaic very funny very down to earth talking about the things that really affect you when you're in the water but also a, a, a line of poetry going through it that's just beautiful um yeah that was that was a sad Lynn's death is a, is a sad loss and yeah. I I have some recordings of her on my computer because we spoke a few times on the phone mm. um yeah, and I don't know that I'll ever listen to those again. I think that would be hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. very sad loss. And uh, Tanya, you 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 mentioned a phrase that she particularly used, which is self sovereignty. Yeah, which was an incredible. I and mean, it took me a while to get my head around what that would mean to me, what it meant to her, and what you were trying to say by it. So, um, what did what did you take? From that, what does she really mean by self sovereignty? Well, do you know, I felt the same way when she used the phrase um, because it's one of those things you think, oh yeah, yeah, I know what she means. And mm. especially when you're trying to deconstruct it to write, you think, Hang I'm not really sure I do yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. understand what you mean by that. But what I guess, what I guess I took to mean is just about that we are the we are the rulers of ourselves we are in charge of ourselves or we have ourselves ourselves you know as, as two separate words um and having some sense of um being being alone in the world but also um just kind of ruling from from, from within yourself outwards um mm. being just having some sense of charge of your own physical body and and mental body mental health too but but mostly some kind of control and charge of your own physical living in your body yeah and I can hear myself already spiraling off into slightly kind of wafty waftiness as I as I try and ex explain it but yeah. I think having that sense of of, of who you are as, as a corp corporeal body yeah um allows you just to take up space sometimes confidently not always mm. um just to be clear about who you are uh, about what you need to sustain yourself physically and mentally spiritually for some people not for me yeah um and i think that having that kind of having that kind of sense allows you to it gives you it frees you up to worry about more important things mm. um <laughs> And just allow just allows you to take your space and um, just get on with living with you know without that kind of sense of who am I, what am I, where am I, when am I, you know all of that stuff that can occupy a, a massive amount of mental energy yeah uh, and divert you from having real purpose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And she was talking about it in relation to swimming, and it was what swimming had given her. Yeah, was that ability to sort of take back her own self yeah. from from everything else yeah. from all of that energy that all of that worry all of that mental yeah. exhaustion and um you know all of the stuff in your head and and yeah. part of it was being able to go I am back to basics I am stripped back and here I am and and I'm okay with how, here I am yeah. right now and now I can take that back into the world of walking on land and doing 
all yeah. the menial stuff and and all the completely normal stuff of life and and I understand myself better yeah. I have have more hold over who I am and I thought that that was such a such a wonderful thing and so profound and it might be something that no, that other people like never realizes part of what they get from swimming but uh you know a lot of it I do hear of, of that sort of thing that I do hear from people who do open water swimming or at least sea swimming or getting in rivers and lakes and stuff like that it's that it's extra I kind of feel as well I will put a small shout, shout out for Lido's here because I think sometimes there's that sense that that happens in nature that happens when right, you're in yeah. the sea and there's yeah. nothing around and yes I have had that experience in those in those things but I've also had that you know I'm a I'm a a, a, a product of my upbringing and that is uh you know the midlands in the 1960s and 70s so i've also found that sense of self um in a much more uh built environment uh-huh. uh, in a lido in the middle of the city yeah uh, and i think that also has a possibility less in an indoor swimming pool where it's much more about yeah you know every experience being the same very heated very this mm. very crowded lots of people very chemical but out mm. you know even in a lido when you're experiencing nature and wind on your skin and you, you know really totally t- yes because you, you go in when it's raining and when it's yeah. snowing and all of that stuff and like you say yeah. in in normal indoor pools that's yeah. not the experience i think my thing is it doesn't have to be this massive pur- purposeful commune with nature kind of uh, thing you know you don't have to be jumping off uh, the rocks in Penzance and swimming out and you know it doesn't have to be that huge no. thing it can be something just more uh, accessible um, local more of a built environment and yeah. I definitely I mean it's I suppose I'm saying that because I definitely found my sense of self yeah yeah, in yeah. which kind of makes me laugh a bit because <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because it's not it's not this great, uh, you know, sea of discovery. It's a, it's a small local pool. But uh, I mean, it would be slightly more uh, uh, surprising if you said, "Oh, I, I found myself in uh, the Oasis uh, swimming pool in Covent Garden or something like that." You'd be thinking, "Really, yeah. an indoor pool?" You yeah, you'd have to fight quite extraordinary. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> I found many things at the Oasis, but myself is not one of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's, let's leave that yes. to uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other <laughs> chat. What you found at the Oasis? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, uh, Jenny, what are you most proud of? It could be anything. It doesn't have to be anything to do with swimming. But what are you most proud of? Well, okay. Um, wow. Uh, well, do you know I. In terms of swimming, what am I most proud of? I suppose I'm, I, I suppose I'm just most, oh, ooh, golly, that's a really difficult question. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm proud of my book. I'm proud of what I've achieved. I'm proud that I still get in every other day and do my swimming. I'm proud that I'm still learning. I'm proud to be, uh, I'm proud to be, do you know I swim at the back of my lane? I, when I go, I go training twice a week, and I'm the slowest. And um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of proud to occupy that space without, without rancor and bitterness. I'm, you know, I'm just proud to be there. Yeah. Um, I'm constantly working to improve. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm, I'm proud of that stuff. Yeah, that's wonderful. And um, 
What has been your greatest failure? <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's in terms of swimming. Uh, well, uh, I mean, probably I'm just that we don't go too deep. <laughs> I'm not talking about in terms of my life. Um, my great, do you know, I just don't see life in that way. I genuinely yeah. don't see. I'm, I'm not a natural optimist or anything, but I genuinely don't hold on to things with regret. I always think, do you know, I learned something from that. Yeah. Moving on. I've yeah. been I've been to things and not finished. I've been to things and not pushed myself hard enough. I've been to things and given up sooner than other people and kind of thought, oh, damn, I'm a bit, I should have kept going. But I didn't, you know, and I just, I just let things go. Yeah. Um, so I just don't, I just don't figure my life in that way. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the best things about I don't know, we can call it failure. And actually, you had an issue with the word failure during in, yes. in the book when you were talking about people's yes. channel swimming attempts that, you know, oh, they failed on six attempts and managed it or 26 yes. attempts and managed it on their 27th or something. You're thinking they got in the water 26 times or however many yes. times. Yes. That is amazing. Yes. And yet it's called a failure. And yes. we you know, the connotations of the word failure are, are so much more than just what an amazing thing she must have learned so much by yeah. doing that one attempt. Just to face it, you know, I've got friends who have, in inverted commas, failed, yeah. you know, and have tried again and failed again. And I have, so, you know, the fact that that's called a failure does does call, cause me angst because mm. they're just such incredible people mm. to even look at that body of water and think, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a go. Yeah. There's no way that that to me is a failure. Quite often it's about things outside their control, you know, tidal shifts yes. or hypothermia or stuff that you wouldn't, you know, you, you do your best to try and overcome, but actually there's only so much you can do. Yeah. Um, so I do rail against calling that failure. And so yeah, it's it's not something. The idea of failing is not something I'm 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 really comfortable with. Yeah, no, I yeah, I get that. Um, and who or what inspires you the most? Ah, hmm. ah do you know? I, can I be? Re I don't know. I'm going to be really cheesy and say actually, in real life, my kids inspire me the most. Yeah. Um, because they're yeah, my kids inspire me the most. Yeah. Um. I don't know that I have one particular hero or heroine that I would – actually, I don't really like using the word heroine yeah. – one particular hero that I would say I identify with. And um, do you think uh, getting – like learning, swimming, being comfortable, you know, all of those things that you said that you're most proud of, um, that you're still learning, that you're still there, that you're still – that you're okay with yourself, all of that stuff, do you think that's part of what you are uh, – uh, your inspiration that it's really important for you to show your kids that it's okay to oh. not be the greatest and that to still be learning and Absolutely. all that I mean stuff. I do I did used to I did used to enter the sports race at their, at their sports day the parents sports race just to show them that you could completely lose something and and recover immediately and not find it life shattering yeah. and you know so yes, I think that's really, really key to show them that you just, and also the fact that I'm kind of, a, you know, late published author. I, I didn't come to this, this, this game when I was 25, 30. Yeah. 
I'm, yeah. I'm still changing what I do. I'm, you know, sometimes I, you know, my kids say, what am I going to be? And I say, well, I don't know, what am I going to be, you know? So, yes. yeah, that's, that's really important for me. Yeah. And, and like within the writing of your book, what yeah. would you most like to inspire in others? Uh, the sense that you just, just get in there, just get in and give it a go. Don't worry about how, how, whether you're good or bad, just get in. Yeah. That's what I would like to, yeah. And I say that really aware of my massive amount of privilege, <laughs> you know, being able-bodied, being, yeah. you know, having access to pools, having the time and, and wherewithal to go to pools. So, yeah, I, I, I'm aware that I'm, that's easier for me to stay yeah. um, than for other people. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. And I think I think that's part of what almost uh, is the continual caveat in all of the conversations that I have with people is we talk about uh, we we talk about brilliant things, we talk about the way we want to inspire people, we talk about achievement or not achievements or um, uh, you know, going and doing stuff and, and things like that. And it almost has to be continuously there in the back of your mind. And I also do realise that yeah. I have put myself in a position where I can do this, that there is a support network for me, that there is, yeah. um, that I am able to make these choices and other people, women are not able yeah. to make those choices. Yeah. Um, but all we can do is inspire, uh, you know, inspire what we can, how we can and be there and be available and support women in any, uh, other women in any way that, that we can yeah I mean obviously I don't want want to, to, do. to, the, to the pool you, you know having some kind of private mantra I'm so privileged I'm, you know obviously I think sometimes people feel like oh I've got, I've got to be weighed down by oh, yeah. the yeah. acknowledgement of my privilege and, you know nobody, nobody's saying that yeah. you, you don't have to you know be this kind of humble creature crawling out of the thing mm. I'm so grateful I'm so grateful it's just kind of carrying it somewhere in 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 yeah. how you get and, and what you say and, yeah. and how you how you treat other people. Yeah, you yeah. know, it sounds a bit like socialism or something crazy, doesn't it? But you know, it's kind of <laughs> don't yeah. say that. So sorry, I'm so sorry. Tommy Jenny yeah. Landreth. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Jenny, thank you so much for uh, talking to us today, sharing the wonder and the glory of all of the stories that you've sort of uncovered. It was um, really joyous and uh, a great pleasure to chat to you. So thank you so much. Thank you. So that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Do remember to check out the show notes and rate and review the episode. Hop on over to Instagram as well at love underscore movement underscore Sussex to let me know what you think and any comments or feedback you have. I always love to hear from you. Join us next time to hear from a new brilliant guest. <laughs>